This is part six of our series in Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And I'm very excited about today's teaching because it is such an important one. And if you can grasp it, it's like a transforming window opening on your understanding of the Old Testament. So my goal is for us to get a clear grasp of this incredibly important topic. I'm going to give a very, very quick overview of where we've got to so far because we've got a lot to cover today. Part one, we looked at the fruit of your roots being the Old Testament, being able to understand them, um, really grasping the New Testament better. The next one, we looked at creation, just the beauty and the glory of God revealed in creation. Then we looked at the big story and how the great arc of the story um, stretches from Genesis right the way through to Jesus in the New Testament. And then we looked at types, about the pictures, the symbols, and the way they work in the Old Testament and the symbols coming through to the New. And then last week, we looked at the flood. So today, I have three points. The first is Noah and the meaning of covenant, because that's the first time the expression covenant appears in the Bible. And then we're going to look at covenants in the Old Testament in general, and then we'll look at Jesus and the new covenant. So first of all, let's go to Noah and the meaning of covenant. Genesis 9. God said to Noah and his sons, Look, I now establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, including the birds, the domestic animals, and every living creature of the earth with you, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature of the earth. And then he says, there's a few few other things in there that Noah's told to do and, and humanity's told to do. And then we have the rainbow. Verse 11, I confirm my covenant with you. Never again will all living things be wiped out by the flood waters, the waters of a flood. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. And God said, this is the guarantee of the covenant I'm making with you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all subsequent generations. I will place my rainbow in the clouds and it will become a guarantee of the covenant between me and the earth. When the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the perpetual covenant between God and all living creatures of all kinds that are on the earth. <clears throat> so, um, oh, and there's one more verse. Then God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Uh, so the Old Testament talks quite a bit about covenants. And so it's really important we understand what a covenant is and what a rainbow is doing in this passage here. What is a covenant? Well, I'm going to say that a covenant is an agreement between parties, but it's not merely a contract. It's fundamentally relational and it binds people together in an agreement. The closest modern equivalent we have to a covenant would be marriage or adoption. So I'm going to give you three things to define a covenant. 
there are promises made by both sides as to what they would do for the other. So these promises that are made, then some kind of symbolic action. So there's, you know, often there's a meal or the sacrifices or some sort of symbolism happens. And then there's an ongoing symbol. There are often there's a lot more to a covenant because they kind of developed, but this is the like raw essential. So today we have legal contracts enforced by putting our signature at the bottom. But that's, um, that idea was completely unknown in the ancient world. That was not something they had. Um, if we can look at, a, as I said, one of the closest equivalents would be the, would be a marriage. And we can, we can look at the, the symbolism that goes into that. Well, first of all, there's promises made by both sides. You know, I'll, I'll love you. I'll, I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. And that's a feature of covenants that they, they usually, they are n- not ending. They, they, they continue forever. So we have the promises and then we have the, the, um, the symbolic action, which would be putting the ring on the fingers, putting rings on fingers. And then we would have um, an ongoing symbol, which would probably be the rings again. And so some weddings would have more symbolism as well, not just the rings, but they'd have all kinds of other things they would do. And so that would be the closest equivalent that we have. So let's go to another example in the Bible. And this is an example of a covenant that doesn't involve God. So it's quite interesting to see it being used in their culture. So Genesis 21, we have Abraham and Abimelech. Now, there's a lot of people in the Old Testament called Abimelech. Um, the reason is that it actually, Melech means king and Abi means my dad. And so it was a popular name for people who thought a lot of themselves to give to their sons. It's basically you're giving your son a name that says my dad's the king. So, so people who fancy themselves as kings will call their sons that. Um, actually Gideon called his son that, which was a real mark against Gideon because he shouldn't have been doing that. Um, so anyway, Abraham and Abimelech. Uh, when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, so it belonged to Abraham, the servants seized it. Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You do not tell me, and I've not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you've set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that it may be a wit, this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. So you see, this is a very simple covenant, but there is that symbolic enactment that Abraham is saying, you these sheep, uh, a symbol, you take the sheep, and then that re- will remind you that the world belongs to me. No document that's signed is done with these ewe lambs. That's one example. Now, this is a very simple covenant, but 
It's very interesting because in ancient times, this idea of a covenant really became very, very richly developed. And um, for example, suppose a king went to war against another king, a smaller king, say, and after time the king surrendered. Uh, the two kings would often make an agreement. And here we actually, this is actually one of the agreements. This is called the Hittite Treaty of Kadesh. And this is clay. It's around uh, 12, well, 1259 BC is the date assigned to it. Um, so it would be after the time of Abraham. It's remarkable that we have two copies of it preserved. Um, and two superpowers at the time, the Hittites and the Egyptians, uh, were fighting and they uh, they made this agreement like a treaty between them. And uh, um, this treaty was what each side would do. Um, and so very often when you had this sort of, of uh, covenant that we found, there would be like, I promise to be loyal to you. I promise to pay this much money to you. And then what they would do to symbolize this treaty is they would cut some animals in two and they would walk between the cut pieces of the animals. And that would be um, a very, very strong piece of symbolism that's saying, if I fail to keep my part of this promise, this covenant that I've made, may I become like these animals. And it's a very, very powerful image of, of taking this very, very seriously. And uh, what's extraordinary is you see God using that symbolism in the covenant with Abraham, which I'll come on to in just a minute. <clears throat> so my definition then of a covenant is it's a forever relationship with serious commitments. Forever, the covenants are usually never, don't have an end time. Relationship, there's the, the, uh, often they'd use the language of like brothers, even kings who were fighting and made a peace treaty. The language they would use is like father, son, or brothers. There'd be a relationship and there would be serious commitments. And the serious is stress because often they would be life or death commitments. Uh, so, uh, this is, um, this is what's behind a covenant. Now, the question then is, did God invent covenants or did humans invent covenants? Well, I think we can say that God providentially caused humans to develop this practice so that he could use it. God frequently used human things to communicate with us. So, for example, the language that Abraham spoke was Hebrew. So God spoke to him in Hebrew. He didn't demand that Abraham learn some heavenly language. He spoke to him in his own language. Um, God stoops to speak to us in a way that we understand with our own uh, meanings and symbolism in our language. So I believe that God very much uh, providentially caused covenants to be developed because it very much fitted his way that he wanted to express his relationship with us. So um, that then is my first point. Covenants, the backbone of the Old Testament, this is Noah and the basic meaning of covenant. Now I want to look at covenants in general in the Old Testament and then we'll go on to look at Jesus and the new covenant. 
So covenants in the Old Testament. We've talked about Noah and the covenant with his, Noah and his descendants, and that's called by theologians the Noahic covenant. And then we have a covenant with Abraham, termed the Abrahamic covenant, one with the, the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai when the law was given. And the shorthand is that is the Mosaic covenant because Moses was the one that brought the law down from the mountains. And we have King David, a covenant with King David, which we call the Davidic, and that was with him, but also his line until Jesus was to come. And then we have a promise in the Old Testament of a new covenant. I'm going to briefly go through these, and we're going to spend most of the time uh, at the end on the new covenant. So let's look at these. Um, Genesis 15 with Abraham. So what happens there? And here's, I'm just going to give you a very short extract, not the whole passage. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. This is symbolizing God passing between cut pieces of animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Now, what's extraordinary about that covenant is that there were no commitments made by Abraham. It was all he did was have faith to trust God. And the other extraordinary thing is God actually went between the pieces, which is symbolically saying, may I cease to be God if I do not keep these promises to you that I've made. Incredibly powerful that God should do that just to encourage Abraham, who was having a weak moment at this time and asked asked God for some encouragement. And so this incredibly powerful event in Genesis 15 was a covenant using this language that, that Abraham would certainly understand. He would know what God was doing with this language. So that's quite extraordinary. And uh, then we have the, the, um, the, the covenant with the nation of Israel in Exodus 19 and the, you know, the, the huge many chapters, but I'm just giving you a summary. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So you can see um, some beautiful words there, and you can see God is saying, if you do this, I will do this. So commitments here on both sides, and I'll come to this later. But this is the core, and then, of course, the Ten Commandments are really central to the this covenant um, with Israel at Mount Sinai. Uh, then later on, quite a bit later on, um, David says to God, as he's getting towards the end of his life, he says, I want to build you a temple. I want to build you a house. And God says, no, and you're not going to build me a house. Your son is going to build me a house. But actually, I'm going to build you a house as in a dynasty, 
And that dynasty is going to continue until Jesus. And here's the promise. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring, that is Solomon, after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure for ever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And he uses the word covenant. And he's going to make this covenant with uh, with David that David is going to, one of David's descendants is going to be Jesus. In other words, it's the covenant, it's the golden thread. It's promised the golden thread is going to go through David to Jesus. And so that's um, the covenant with David. Then we have the most exciting thing of all of these. In Jeremiah 31, many places there's been allusions to this and there's been, kind of been, uh, been um, some, some reference to this, but this is the clearest place it's explained. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Now, he's very specific about this covenant, that it's not like. That is like a long hand for the covenant at Mount Sinai. And it's going to be not like that. That we is, is often referred to as the old covenant, even though um, the one with David and with Abraham and with Noah are old, but this is the one that's actually named the Old Covenant. Um, the, the, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And he goes on and says a few other things which we'll look at in a minute. So this is incredibly exciting, this, 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 this structure of covenants. And this is the backbone of the Old Testament. Because when you want to understand a part of the Old Testament, you have to say which covenant were those people under at that time. Because that's the framework of relationship with God and what God was expecting of humanity and um, so uh, so for example um, the requirement not to eat pork was something that didn't come in until Moses so it'd be quite fine for Abraham to have eaten pork or to have you know done many other things it was only when God specified that that was the covenant that they had to live under that covenant and that was the framework God had given them so um, now I want to um, I want to um, look at the the uh, the new covenant. So this is where we've been so far. We've looked at Noah and the meaning of covenant. We've looked at covenants in the Old Testament, and now we're going to look at Jesus and the new covenant. How he fulfills these promises in the old. So first of all. Let's look at um, Hebrews 6, 
which quotes that passage, sorry, Hebrews 8, which quotes that passage I read from Jeremiah and uh, it puts it in some context. But now Jesus has obtained a superior ministry since the covenant that he mediates is also better and is enacted on better promises. Better promises. And these are, these are what they are. We'll see what they are in a minute. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So the covenant with Moses at Mount Sinai was, was flawed in many ways. It was not perfect. And it was, there were many, many imperfections of it because it wasn't designed to be a finished product. It was designed to have imperfections to show that it was actually transitory. For he finds fault with them, saying, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That's the quote from Jeremiah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. And then in verse 13 it says, In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So the Bible is divided into covenant periods. There is Noah, there is Abraham, there's the law at Mount Sinai, and then there's the covenant with David and there's Jesus. And it's important to know at any time of history what covenant you're under, because then you know the requirements that are there. So I've put everything together into a chart here, and this is the most important slide that we're doing today, because this has got everything on it, and hopefully will give us the, the, the picture of how it all works. So we've got, I've chosen, um, th- uh, four covenants across the top. We're not putting the, d- the, David's covenant in there, because that was a very much more restricted one to the line of kings down to Jesus. But these are the, the four major ones. So there's Noah, Abraham, Israel, which is called the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant. So each of them has got an initial sign. So with Noah, of course, the initial sign was the ark that took them through and uh, took them through the flood. Um, then there was an ongoing sign, an ongoing seal, which was the rainbow. And then there was God's commitment, which was no more flood. And then there were some requirements, which were some laws, which I didn't read, but there were various laws they were given. And um, like nothing like the laws of Moses, but kind of few little similarities there, like not eating meat that's got blood in it. So then we have Abraham, we have the initial sign, which was the smoking torch going between the pieces of animals, this manifestation of God, this extraordinary manifestation. Then we have an ongoing sign or seal, which is circumcision. And then we have God's commitments. I'm going to give you descendants like the stars in the sky, and I'm going to give you this land. And then we have the requirements. Well, the only requirement was that Abraham should trust God. That's all it was. Then we look at the Old Covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. The initial sign was very spectacular. It was God, actually God's presence with his fire on the mountain and the flames, and it was really quite spectacular. Then we have the ongoing sign, 
which was actually God's presence. Still, it was visible in cloud and fire in the wilderness, and then there was God's glory in the temple, and there was this manifestation of God's glory, which was a sign of his presence, because we know that, because when God's presence departed from them, actually the glory left. And so um, this was the ongoing visible seal. Um, then we have God's commitments, which were physical blessings and prosperity. And this is very clear in Deuteronomy. I'm not going to read it now, but very, very clear what the blessings were. And they were very physical. You know, you'll have you'll have wealth. You will have lots of children. You'll be blessed. You'll be protected from your enemies. Very. It was prosperity. And the requirements were the law. You have to do these things, do all of these laws. And if you don't keep these laws, you won't prosper. Very interesting to understand this in the light of the prosperity gospel, because what proponents will often do is they'll pull out promises from this covenant with Israel and just apply it to us in the new covenant. And they've got no business doing that, because if you're going to apply the, the blessings from the old covenant, you have to apply the requirements as well, which is the law, which none of us want to be under. And of course, we cannot actually keep the law, as was proved by Israel. Then we have the new covenant. In the new covenant, we have the initial sign, which is baptism. And then the ongoing sign, the seal, is the spirit. No, he's called the seal. Uh, he, he is the sign that we are members of the new covenant. Um, and God's commitments are better promises, which I'm going to come on to in a minute, which we read in, in Hebrew, Hebrews and also in Jeremiah when they're foretold. And then we have the requirements, which are to trust in Jesus. And so what's very interesting is to see the similarities there between Abraham and his requirements and the new covenant and our requirements. And of course, Paul pulls that out in other New Testament writers, that we are the children of Abraham uh, and that he had faith. And this is all that's required of us. So let's go through the table again. I'm just going to go horizontally now. Initial sign, the ark to Noah, the smoking torch to Abraham, fire on the mountain to Israel. And we have a, the symbol of being baptized as this outward symbol of the new life that's within us. <clears throat> the, so that's the external. That first one is the external symbol. Then the ongoing sign or seal, the rainbow circumcision for Abraham, the cloud and fire, visible glory for the old old covenant, and then the Holy Spirit, the seal of the new covenant. Then we have God's commitments, no more flood to Noah, descendants and land to Abraham, physical blessings and prosperity to Israel, better promises for us, which I'll come on to in just a minute. Um, And then the requirements, Noah had a few laws, Abraham had to trust, Israel had a huge body of law, and we have faith, trust in Jesus. Make Jesus your Lord and trust in him. That is our the requirement that we have. So um, just uh, to expand a little bit about um, the old covenant here, um, almost all of the requirements that they had, that they had to do, were external ones. Um there were there were um, things they had to do in terms of rituals and such a purification, and some of them were about the heart, but mostly were external, and um, they related to God 
as this authority figure who would judge them if they failed. The, the, the Jew, Jews in Jesus' time would never call God Abba, Father. That wasn't the relationship that they had. And they had these blessings and cursings that were there. So just contrasting that now with the new covenant in Hebrews 8, and I'm going to summarize it here. God's law written on our hearts. We belong to him and he belongs to us. No need for priests between us and God. And our sins are all forgiven. He says, I will, I will remember them no more. So just to, to go through those one at a time, because these are so important. Um, God's law written in our hearts. Um, there's, have you ever had a, a supermarket trolley that one wheel is wrong, going wrong, and it keeps on trying to drag you off in one direction because there's something kind of skew about it, something wonky? Well, that's what our hearts are like. We've got this tendency to pull away from, from God's, um, God's laws and God's commands. And what God's saying, I'm going to give you a new way of living, a new set of wheels that would naturally go in my way. Um, and when someone becomes a Christian, God puts some of his life into them, which will naturally want to follow him. So an example would be, the main command of the new covenant is to love one another. And um, you can't achieve that by law. You can't make laws and come and change people, make them love one another because you've made laws that they should. No, it's done by God's love being put in us and that love coming out of us. And so God's gift of the Holy Spirit, the new life he puts in us through his spirit naturally flows out in following him, particularly following the new command to love one another, but also wanting to do things to please God because we love God, because we want to please him, because we have this relationship with him. And so what happens then when somebody becomes a Christian, they come into the new covenant, there is this this new um, heart that they're given. Now, they still can go the old way, and we have to choose between the new and the old. Paul talks about it being um, living according to the spirit or the flesh. So, you know, Christians will often do the wrong thing, but we have the capability of this new life within us. And um, I've given this illustration before, but um, some time ago I was out on my back deck, and I saw a movement under the deck. And I thought, oh, is there an animal underneath? And I looked, and I peeped underneath and there was a huge butterfly had got trapped under there. It must have hatched out and come under there. And so I very, very carefully took, scooped the butterfly out and, and let go of it. And of course it flew up and away because that was his nature. And so it's like that with Christians under the new covenant is we have a new nature. Now sometimes there are things that will hold us back and we'll, we will live trapped in things that are not good. But Part of us wants to just fly, and it's this new law that's written on our hearts. And then we belong to him, and he belongs to us. This is the essence of the new covenant. He's ours in the sense that he belongs to us. It's, it's almost like love language, isn't it? It's like language from Song of Solomon. It's, it's um, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. 
But one of the most wonderful things about this is it's so secure. You know, he, I'm yours, he said, and you are mine. It's such a security. And um, I think the most important element of this part of the new covenant is that it's unshakable. It's unshakable. He has us. We belong to him. And there's this security that wasn't there in the old covenant. And then the next part, no need for priests between us and God. Um, God still gives teachers to his people, but they're to be listened with, with discernment. Since we have the spirit, we can discern truth from error. And God's written law is our primary authority, but in the new covenant, we can all read it and understand it because we have the spirit who helps us understand. And so this is a responsibility that many of us would rather not have. It's much easier to have a priest who will tell you all the answers to every question and and tell you how to live without you having to think for yourselves. This is how cults get going. But um, something in us wants to follow a teacher but Christ is our leader and he leads us directly and you are empowered to discern the truth. So although I'm speaking to you now, I'm I'm teaching you, your responsibility is just not to accept everything I say blindly, but uh, you have the spirit if you're a Christian and you can see, is is this really what these scriptures are saying? Of course, teachers still have value, they're gifts to the church, but just not to be blindly followed. And the last part is our sins are all forgiven. He says, I will remember them no more. Um, and you might at this point say, well, how were people saved in the old covenant? Um, actually, the old covenant never saved anybody. This may surprise you, but Hebrews 10.4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They were saved under the promise of the new covenant. It was only Jesus' blood that saved them. Even if, even though he hadn't yet died, and they didn't understand clearly these, uh, these prophecies about him, um, yet they were saved by faith that God would provide a salvation. And so, um, even in the old covenant, they were saved by the promise of Jesus, who would be the Lamb of God. The, the the forgiveness that God had promised them. But God says, I will forgive their wickedness and their sins I will remember no more. This is just an extraordinary statement. I mean, I can hardly grasp this. God is not counting your sins. God's not counting them. He says, I remember them. If you mess up today, he'll have chosen to forget it tomorrow. This is extraordinary. This truth is almost dangerous. It's almost dangerous. I say almost dangerous because actually, if it wasn't for A in this list, it would be dangerous. But you, this, the, the new covenant comes as a package and you only get D when you get A as well. In other words, you have a new heart. And so if somebody says, oh, I'm just going to keep doing bad stuff because God's going to forgive me. Well, that's a sign that you don't have a new heart. You don't have God's law written on your heart. And because if you did, you wouldn't want to just go on sinning. 
you'd want to please God with your lives. Um, so the new covenant is a package. It all comes together. But nevertheless, we need to take this truth and apply it to our relationship with God that when we come to him, just remember that he says, he says, I, you, you're, you're beautiful. When you come to me, you're beautiful. Your sins are gone. I didn't remember them because they are, are, are gone. They're washed away. This is just such a, a precious thing, such an amazing thing. No wonder the writer to Hebrews says it's based on better promises. This is a whole lot better than what they had in the covenant at Sinai. So and this is my, my last summary slide now. Um, really just to summarize these things, because really the takeaway from this message is is Jesus in the covenants and the covenants pointing to Jesus. And I want to summarize the new covenant and those four steps. <clears throat> if you are a member of the new covenant and you're a member of the new covenant by if you trust Jesus, if he is your Lord, if you put in your confidence in, in, in him to save you, you're a member of the new covenant because that is the requirement. If you're a member of the new covenant, you have a new heart that, like a butterfly, wants to soar. Whatever your situation right now, you have a heart in you that wants to be soaring and pleasing God and doing his word and loving as he's commanded. Second, you are God's beloved and he is your beloved. You are secure in that relationship. You are secure. The old covenant could never give this security. See, you relate directly to God, not through priests. You can come to him in prayer. You can speak directly to God, not like they did through priests and temples and so on. Wow. And when you come to him, when you come to him, you are totally forgiven and God is never judging you or condemning you. This is so amazing, and we need to really get hold of this truth. Because if you really grasp this, if you really grasp this, it was light is life transforming. I don't know what you're feeling at the moment, but maybe you're feeling condemned or a failure. Maybe you think, you know, I'm really not doing, I'm just mess up all the time. I'm not doing what I should. Um, the, I want to say, in Romans 8.11 it says, There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And this, God delights to give this covenant because it is a covenant that flows from his heart. It's where the other covenants were pointing to eventually in the end because this is the heart of God. He wants to love you unconditionally. He just wants you to trust him, to look to him, to rest in him and to Give your thanks to him for what he's done. So let's give our thanks to him right now, shall we? Oh, God, we are, we are so moved. We are so deeply touched. We're so compelled by your promises to us that you have set your love upon us, that you've sent your own son to pay the price so that all we would need to do was to trust you. Lord, we're amazed. Thank you, God, for doing
doing this, for bringing this. Lord, we pray that every single one here, every single one listening right now, will grasp the wonder of this new covenant. And anyone who's listening who is not a member of this covenant, who doesn't know you, will just simply trust you and say, God, I want to be part of this. I'm going to trust that Jesus is enough for me. He will take away my sin and will provide for me forever. And that is your all you ask us to do. Thank you, God. Amen.